welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. No doubt. So here we go. Louise Williams, I'm so excited to be interviewing you for She's the Boss Chats. I've known you for ages and I don't know your story at all. So (laughs) this is going to be awesome. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, we've known each other for a while now. (laughs) We have, we have. And anybody who knows me will know I've been raving about Louise's photography and you've either seen the shots that I've been sharing or the amazing shots she recently took of me on the turquoise background. So that is Louise, but there's a lot more to her than just the photography. So uh, welcome, Louise, and why don't you tell everyone everything that you do? (laughs) Everything that I do. Oh, my gosh. Well, just if I I was at a party and I said to you, hi, what do you do? I don't think you'd just say photography. So tell everybody what what else you do. Um, I help. uh, I'm a former Uh, psychologist and I help people see I help people see they're unseen. I help people see what everyone else sees in the world about them um, and get them to really align to that because it then helps them to step into more of a leadership role in their own lives. So um, that's through photography, through coaching. I do speaking, um, courses, mastermind days, all that kind of stuff. A woman of many, many talents. Well, it's brilliant to have you here. So uh, let's let's talk just very quickly. I am going to take you back to when you were a little girl, so be prepared for that. But That's okay. Let's just talk very quickly about the psychology and going out on your own into and the movement into into photography. What, what mm-hmm. was it? Was there a moment that sparked it all? Um. So I was a psychologist. Um, for over 13 years. So I came from North wow. Queensland yep. and moved down to Brisbane and uh, my first ever paying job as a psychologist was in a maximum men's security prison. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm going to have to hear about that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I realised at that point I did not want to do forensic psychology any longer. Um, I had lots of interesting close calls in the prisons um, and uh, had to see counselling, like EAP counsellors and what have you. And I said to them, oh, what do you do? And they're like, oh, this is organisational psychology. I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. So I went back and did a Masters of Organisational Psychology. Um, And then I moved around in lots of different workplace health and safety kind of jobs um, EAP jobs, counselling employees. Can I just ask, what does EAP stand for? So it's Employee Assistance Programs. Okay, gotcha. So yep, I know. when okay, you're an employee in- and you get to go to a counsellor that's paid for by the, the employer. Yeah. Um, and then I had my own private practice and I had that for five years, I want to say. Um, okay. Like even longer than that. And... So that was in 2005. I started in my own private practice in Paddington, Brisbane. So this and this is um, psychology. Psychology had it, a yep. beautiful space set up. Was very very busy. I was seeing seven clients a day. Oh, um, Four days a week. And, and, and are you doing time. photography on the side or? or no, not no? At that okay. point. All right. And then <laughs> I think a couple of years after that, 
I was starting to burn out and I saw a girlfriend who was taking photos overseas and I, I messaged her and I said, oh, what, what, what do you use as a camera? I'm kind of intrigued. And she told me and I went and bought a camera with you know, all the money I was making from being a <laughs> but psychologist. at that stage this was just I'll, I'll give it a go as a sort of a hobby. I'll photograph inanimate objects. I'll photograph. You know, I did a course, actually went and did a course, sat in someone's like lounge room and yeah. they had a little group and I, I we went and photographed inanimate objects around their their space oh, and right. I learned how to use the camera. Um never went to TAFE or anything like that for photography. Oh, I love it. So you're self taught. Yeah. And then I just started photographing people and I then realized oh, my God, I don't have to actually fix anybody. I can just have fun with them. <laughs> I like this. I like this but even you more have, so. You have an extraordinary eye, though. You, you, I mean, for somebody who hasn't, who's self-taught, there is something, some magic that occurs with you behind the camera, I think, that I haven't really seen from, as I've said, very. I mean, I've, I've told you this before, but there's, I, I'm very good friends with a photographer in London called Adam Lawrence who does sort of... Um, Portraits not dissimilar to yours, and you're the only two people I've ever seen ever do anything like that in the whole world. And Annie Leibovitz yeah. would be another one. She's another one, and, and you're Annie. up there, I reckon, with those kind of people. I like that idea, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now I've just embarrassed you. Probably let's go. Let's go right back and and do the whole story, and then we can have another little chat along the way. So, um, yeah. where do you, so you came down from North Queensland? Did you grow up in North Queensland? And what size family? And what did Mum and Dad do? Um, so I grew up in a very small country town. We're talking only a couple okay. of in a hundred people type of thing. A oh, okay. thousand maybe. Um, everyone knew everybody's business. Um, it's an hour south of Townsville. It, nobody even knows it. It's called right. Home Hill. Um, okay. in the Burdekin, uh, it's the place where all the cyclones go when, when, <laughs> they go towards the, the Burdekin <laughs> oh, River. So you've had a lot of cyclone experience. <laughs> We've been in lots of cyclones. Um, okay. and I did primary and high school there and mum, mum was stay at home, but then she worked in, the family's tire business, Bridgestone tire business, oh, okay. was very successful, and then moved out of there. And can, uh, can I ask became, why? Why did they live in what was it called? Something home, Home Hill, Home Hill. What brought them to Home Hill? Are they both from that area, or were they from around yeah. up north? Okay, yeah, yeah. So they grew up there. They grew. Okay. Well, Mum grew up in Air. Dad grew up in Home Hill. Um, right. And they all they both went away and did things down in Brisbane. Uh, Mum did. Uh, don't even quote me. I don't even. I can't remember now off the top of my head. But it, it was admin, admin type of temp yeah. kind of stuff. And Dad was into. Um, Cane, sugar cane and pest and disease stuff, and okay. they went to towns uh, to, to Brisbane, and then they came back and they fell in love. Oh, uh, beautiful! Met each other and fell in love. So, um, and are you an only child? Were there any brothers or sisters? I've got one brother, one brother, okay. and he's in Brisbane as well, and he's a pharmacist. Okay, so neither of you went into the family business or ended up up north. Okay, so you no. went through primary school and high school. <clears throat> up there were these was that one of those kind of schools that's got 50 kids from you know primary right the way through to senior did you love yeah, it yeah i mean oh, you're nodding it's i'm just bigger so- than that 
Yeah. It's probably bigger than that. Some of the, I know the schools you're talking about because I've uh, done teaching in them, but yes, ours were probably one of the biggest schools because people would, would come from, you know, out, out west and what have you to, to join it. Um, okay. But still pretty small compared to Brisbane schools or Melbourne schools, yes. All right. Yes. Okay. And so um, – and you really enjoyed it. Did you enjoy it right the way through and did you go to year 12? I hated it. I, did, <laughs> I, I, loved, I loved the school work and the, 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 the different things I learnt, uh, but I was bullied like – to an inch of my life from the moment oh, I started really? there. Oh, yeah. And the, the kids the, didn't st- – the teachers didn't step in to stop that? Well, primary school, the the headmaster was the father of one of my bullies. So oh, my God. That oh, was Louise. not going to go down well in any way. So you and just I dreaded very going quiet in. child. Right. Yeah, I, I kept my head down, but it was not enough because I was kind of like – I was misunderstood from the very beginning. I, I actually think now that I look back on it, I think I was on the spectrum a bit. Um, right. And so people just couldn't get me, even though I was – I think I was pretty personable, and but I was very quiet. I didn't I – didn't, I didn't play any of the games. I just couldn't be bothered. No. Um, and if and, you're not sporty, um, and I don't know whether you were, oh, but I wasn't, yeah. that immediately no, cuts out – at least half of the school that you're going to be able to relate to. No. I was arty. I would do art yeah, same. every minute I could. Yep. Um, it was my dis- – I just disappeared into art when I was at home um, as well as uh, in high um, school and primary school. So were you kind of the kid who would spend a lot of time in the library or in the art studio drawing, that kind of thing? Yeah, so I often tell clients when we're doing coaching sessions um, that – you know, that initial stage of my life actually is one of the key defining moments of what what drives me even to this day of getting right. people who are misunderstood to be able to speak up and be seen and to actually be able to communicate in a way that people can't, um, uh, they can't tear them down. Um, in a hurry, and right. um, you know, I was the one who stayed in the in the library, so no one could beat me up. And I even got the art teacher to lock me in the art room most weekdays, oh so that God, I could just Louise. hide. And beating mm. you up, I mean, I I, I was very lucky because I was a tall girl, um, but but I didn't really come across a lot of really rough kind of aggressive girls. Other than I do remember at one stage there was a girl in year. Seven, eight, nine, maybe I think who used to beat up the other girls, and I used to just <laughs> laugh at her and go, "I just can't believe you'd even do that." And we had teachers yeah. that would step in. So I'm so, 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 so sorry to hear this, and I'm so glad mm. they do something about it now at schools. All right. Mm. So did you go through to year twelve? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and then what was that? What, what? And so when you left, what was the plan? What What did you do next? Was it automatically going to uni? It was going to uni. I, I had to get out of Home Hill. I was not going to stay there. I'm not surprised. Most people who go through there stay there, but I was not going to be one of those people. And no. Mum was adamant I was not going to be one of those people. Yeah, um, great. So I, I, I had long conversations with Mum about what I would put on to my, I think it was QCAT at the time, um, and I wanted to put down art or art teacher. 
Um, right. And she was like, you're not going to make money from art. You don't put down art. You're all protective <laughs> you can, mum. <laughs> you can put that third or fourth. And okay. she's like, I think you could be a psychologist or a teacher. Why don't you put down both? Because uh, at the time there was a, a bachelor of education, bachelor of psychology that was meant to be for guidance counselling. Right. So that's what we put down. And, and I got it. <laughs> right. Careful what you wish for. So, uh, that's right. So you and and where is the uni? Was that down in Brizzy? So was that leaving no. home? No. Okay. No, I so went to Townsville. So James Cook Uni. And how far? Yeah. I mean, did it involve leaving home, or was it just travelling yeah. every day? Yeah. No, I left home. I needed to get out of Home Hill, and my dad was super controlling. He was a typical guy of that era. Right. Um, yep. Very, very controlling, and so I just, I, I was quite rebellious, and I was just like, "No, I'm going. I'm, I'm out of here." So and it was an hour away. Like, so. Yeah, so you're an hour away from home. You're 17 or 18 or whatever you were. Mm. Uh, had to get yourself some accommodation and stuff. How, how was that? Were you terrified? I was scared. I was nervous, but I was also excited. I was 17 because I'm a November baby. Yeah. Um, so mum set me all up. Mum mum was amazing. Just set me up with everything I needed in the room. Um, I was on, on the actual uni. Oh, on campus. Rounds. You did. Right. Yep. 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 Um, and, of course, back then uh, there was a lot of hazing that would happen that they out that they say you can't do these days. Oh, my um, God. So a lot right. of pouring alcohol down people's throats and um did you have that happen to you runs. i i willingly did it uh <laughs> to be in the in crowd yeah, to fit and in. i loved it because i had a clean slate i didn't have to yeah. you know be nobody knew you me up be. there nobody <laughs> yeah, knew me I found that when I went over to London, I remember going, I can be whatever I want to be now. Nobody will ever know. So yeah. uh, so did you enjoy your uni years then? Did you do three? I did five years. So it's Ooh, a, didn't want to leave. It's, it's a double degree. <laughs> so right. the, four, the first four years you're doing a bit of psychology, um, half-time psychology, full-time education um, work. Yep. Um and I finished the fourth year and then I was registered where I could be a supply teacher. Um, and then the far, final year was like a, a thesis honours year and that's where you right. finish off all of your psychology. Um, wow. That's where I started supply teaching but also I started doing stuff at Lifeline, telephone counselling, that sort of stuff. So. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. That sounds like a, a a good combo. And was the lifeline – so what were you doing to survive financially while in those five years? It's a long time. I was um, I was actually working as an RA in the actual on, um, on campus at the university there. So I was like the person who keep everybody in track, uh, residential – assistant I think it was called but you're basically the the boss of you know a couple of you know dorms or something is it sort of yeah um and you keep everybody in line type of thing so which is kind of ironic I know I'm just listening to where your journey journey had come from you must have absolutely loved to have the tables turned yeah I didn't mind because I could you know get a bit bossy and tell people what to do (laughs) 
But then I, I was also you know, super I, quiet. I, just, so. I can't imagine you being like that, actually. I would have thought you wouldn't be bossy at all. You'd be lovely. Uh, I, yeah, I, I was able to influence um, with heart. Um, yeah, beautiful. And, you know, I was also part of the crowd because I – I could party as good as the best of anyone. Them. <laughs> I remember someone from my hometown. She she used to live opposite me um, back in Home Hill. Yeah. Come to my dorm room one time, probably uh, probably a couple of years in, and sat on my bed because that was the 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 extent of my room. Yeah, was my yeah. bedroom, <laughs> and um, she said, "Oh, Louise, everybody back home is really concerned about you." And I said, what do you mean? Oh, my God, sorry, that's just small town. Straight away, like, everyone is worried <laughs> yeah, about you. I told you. Oh. And she's like, oh, I'm con- they're concerned because you're acting very different to how we <laughs> saw you act back home. And I said, that's because I'm having fun. Yeah. <laughs> and you didn't know me back then. You underestimated me back then. Like, I'm actually quite a fun person. And she's like, oh, but are you sure you're not going off the rails? They're worried you're going off the rails. Oh, my God. Oh, that would go- oh, <laughs> even you just telling me that story just makes me kind of go, oh. Anyway, it must have been fantastic for you then. So what did yeah. you decide at the, after you're in- incredibly qualified with your double degree? <laughs> what was the next step? Because that's scary too, coming out of uni and that nice structure to go, right, now what am I going to do? Yeah, so so back then, um, the, the, we're talking nineteen ninety seven. Um, in order to be a psychologist, you had to have some sort of experience as well, but you can't get experience without having some sort of that work. old chestnut. Yeah, okay. That chestnut was kind of playing out, and we're up in North Queensland, which is means there's not as much work as there was down south. And I met my now husband. I met him in. 96 in my last two years of uni um, <laughs> online. So I was on okay. the, the computers online, like this walking gaming? to the library. And, it, yeah, it's like a gaming kind of it's, okay. uh, it's called Forest um, yeah. and like an online community type, like a Facebook, but all in just uh, text format, no oh, visuals. How interesting. And um, we met on there and were friends for a, a good year until he moved, until he came up to see me for my 21st. Um, Where was he from? He's in, he was in Sydney at the time. Oh, okay. All right. And um, he was he was just lovely and he was in Sydney that while must, I was That's so then. great that you had an ally then. Well, yeah, I always say I, I I met my guy online when online dating was not a thing. <laughs> it was just it was just the start of the the universe of online. You're ahead of and, the innovation um, curve. <laughs> I was ahead of that, and um, so I went back home. Actually, I went back home because couldn't get work in Townsville. Oh, good. How was that? And so I hadn't lived at home for five years and, you know, my dad and I were just Were they all still worried about you? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I say in inverted commas. Oh, yeah. And I was just like, I don't want to be around any of those people. (laughs) No, I bet. I bet you didn't. Um, And so I said to Phil, (laughs) why don't we meet halfway? Why don't we move to Brisbane together and, you know, we'll make a go of it there. And he was sick of Sydney and – so yeah, we met halfway, sort of, kind of, and yeah. um, 
he the first first person he met where he got because he went there first because he had work that he had to hook up first. Yeah. Um, and the first person he met at a place he was staying at was someone who I had been a fellow RA with. In Townsville. Oh my God! Stop it! It was <laughs> talk crazy. about a coincidence. It was That's crazy, amazing. and um, and then I moved down to Brisbane in '98. Um, okay. And what, what does we Phil moved do? In together. What, so what does so Phil do? So he was in IT, and he used okay. to do all the, um, you know, uh, uh, networking stuff. Or- help desk kind of stuff but oh, now yeah. nowadays he's a systems engineer so he's a lot more evolved now yeah um right yeah. okay so you both moved to brizzy he goes first uh so did that take the pressure off a bit were you able to find work once you know the pressure was I, off i guess a, a little bit did it? it took me a while while i was down here i got back into lifeline down here, I worked in drug and alcohol rehab as a volunteer. And can I just ask, with Lifeline, was that a direct result of the bullying that you decided that you want to be able to help others, or had there what? What was the? How did you fall into that, or is that just a? Because my partner did a psych degree, and I know there was some talk of counselling. So was it through kind of the psychology, or how did you get into it? Um, I liked what they had down here because. Uh, I heard, I had read somewhere. I don't even know how I came across it because there was no internet. Like there was not the internet like we have now. Um, right. And I found out that they would do a course with you that's a counselling course. And, of course, with psychology, you're not actually taught how to counsel properly. Um, yeah, it's just right. a general kind of overview, whereas this was a lot more involved. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do that as an upskilling kind of thing. You've got to remember at that point in 98 in Brisbane, I was literally looking at the yellow page. The yellow pages was open in front of me (laughs) and I was literally going through each of the psychologists (laughs) and I was actually typing out letters and signing them and posting them to these people saying, I'd really like to get some work. How can you help me? Blah, blah, blah. Like I did some massive like undertakings of trying to connect to people. Direct marketing, I think that was called in those days. <laughs> pretty much, without me realising. Yeah. So you found one in the end? Um, no. I, I, I think someone from that process told me about Lifeline and that's how I connected to it, actually, when I think about it now. Okay. Um, I liked Lifeline, but, God, it was an eye-opener. Um, mind you, and not emotionally- as much of an eye-opener as the prisons. No, so oh God, yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. So, but it, I would have thought lifeline emotionally draining, though, like hard to do, mm. deal with that day after day. And and you get a lot of freaky people on there too, like people that are very lonely, but have got some real mental real, health issues. Like, mental health issues. I, I remember us having one guy that was ringing up and was dressing in nappies and was inviting women over to take photos with him. It was weird yeah, stuff. Yeah, that Some sounds of the stuff weird. That we dealt with so lots of supervision around that. Because you got to remember, I was twenty three. <laughs> yeah, or so. not a, yeah, not a lot of experience <laughs> in the world with people like that. So, uh, so what came next? What, what, did you? How long did you stay with Lifeline? Was it a long time? Probably about a year, and then I got oh, the okay. job in the prison. Okay, so talk to me about the prison. 
because it sounds horrific. <laughs> <laughs> so 1999, I applied for a job there thinking, oh, this will be good. I'll get my teeth into helping people. And um, it was a counselling position initially. It was um, a male prison, was it? Ma- so yep. it's the maximum men's security prison here in Brisbane in, in Wacol. And all Oof. men go there when they are arrested and they're held. Uh, for remand or to go off in to do their actual time. Um, right. So it's kind of a melting pot of everything. Uh, so it's a pretty brutal prison. Um, it's got pedophilia, uh, pedophile unit in there. It's got um, rapists. It's got murderers. It's got drug dealers. It's got people who are even selectively choosing to be in there to pay off their fines. Right. Um, and it's oh my also, gosh. I think about a year into me being there, um, they then built max, like the high security unit, which had the likes of Brendan Abbott's people, uh, people who escaped with him um, in there. I don't know who Brendan Abbott be, was. Sorry, is, there, is he? So a- Brendan <laughs> Abbott um, escaped from Sir David Longland, uh, one of the other prisons here back in the Was he the guy that had the, the helicopter that came over and? Oh I my think gosh. so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a bit of a hero um, so for the mani- other for the other prisoners, I imagine. Very manipulative, very charismatic kind of guys in there that you Yuck. need to watch yourself with. Yeah. Right. So yeah. what was your role? So you were there as a as counselor? Initially counselor, and I would interview people when they first came in, check that they're not suicidal, ask, you know, work out whether they have any mental health issues, and then uh, you know, identify things they need while they're in there. Um, and then I would counsel people and support people long because people were in there for long term as well, waiting for their court date. Um, so I saw all sorts of guys while I was in there. Um, and then oh I my became, God, from lifeline then they to that sounds yeah. quite mentally challenging. Yeah, 24, yeah. God. Honestly, the things yeah. we think we can do when we're younger. <laughs> well, no. I mean, and the systems that allow it to happen. Oh so, my God! Yes. How long were you there for? Um, pretty much exactly on the dot of two years. And still to this day, I bet you remember almost every minute of it. It sounds awful. I do. I had a the senior psychologist at the time who hired me. She um, said to me, "Louise, don't stay longer than two years." Right. You will become institutionalised. If you don't leave, you'll you'll get stuck. Right. Um, so I, an incident happened that uh, I realised if I thought that was funny, I was going to be in a world of hurt. Uh, right. So I decided to leave at that point. Yes, smart. So, uh, so what came next? Um, went and did Masters of Organisational Psychology at University of Queensland. Right. Uh, and I there, did and not that- want to do any... Because uh, I didn't want to do any more in terms of forensic or clinical count, uh, psychology. I was over it, and so I thought I'll do business psychology instead. Okay. Uh, we're, we're now we're sort of leading slowly to some of the services you offer today. So yeah. um, so you do your master's, and that's presumably being a full-time student. So what did you do yeah. after that? Uh, I ended up then working in multiple different um, uh, workplace health and safety companies that provide 
workplace health and safety, psychology, as well as other like allied health, uh, OT, physio, that sort of thing to different companies so that they can meet their workplace um, work cover uh, needs that they've got. And, And was that fun? I mean, did you enjoy that? It was okay. Right. <laughs> it was. I, no, nothing's grabbed okay. you yet at this stage um, in terms yeah, of, you know. it was very much billable hours and I yeah, hate boring. billable hours. Yes. Um, yeah. And I'm not the kind of person who watches the clock. I just don't do it. I, 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 I respect the, the customer and the client way too much and it was very much just your number, get you in, get you out. It's very much about the money. Um, right. So I always feel that I way for it. GP. I always feel that way for GPs. Ten minutes or fifteen minutes is all they get, and I'm like, that would be so frustrating. Okay, yeah. so you played the numbers game and did that for yeah. a while. Um, what came out of the? So, at what stage did you decide you'd had enough of organisational psychology in big organisations? Um, anyway, I went and did. Employee assistance counselling with Centre Care. That I liked better, and I think that was in 2000, 2004, okay. uh, 2005. And so there was a bit of an overlap between I did that full time, and then I got to a point where I was like, I actually really want to do my own private practice now. So they let me go part time. So I was doing counselling oh, for them nice. and counselling in my own private practice. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. So you had a gradual kind of, uh, you know, the part-time job and all in the same industry, yeah. which is nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then um, and then you decided that you wanted to do something a bit more creative. Is that sort of how it went? Or Well, with psychology, I've never been a typical psychologist. <laughs> no surprises <laughs> there. Um, no, no surprises so- at all. <laughs> And so I had done a lot of training in art therapy, dance and movement, expressive therapies, okay. and Jungian psychology with symbols and um, with sand play. And so I did more and more of that and went full time in my own practice. And back then is not Facebook hadn't even started at that point, so I was. Just sending again in yellow pages letters out to doctors to ref- to get them to oh, refer for to me. Okay, yeah. and that's and how then it I got, got my really, business. And it became busier and busier, busier and busier. Got booked out for months in advance, um, which was lovely but very tiring. And yeah. then I bought that camera, and, and then you then I the had camera. to juggle both. I bought the the camera in two thousand seven. And then With the idea that you would become a professional photographer, was that the idea or at that stage it was just no. like a hobby and I'll play with it? And Yeah, just a hobby. I was just I was photographing cacti and birds and oh, that's how landscapes. You start. That's how we I'm, start. My, my, dad's, um, my dad was a mad photographer for a doctor, but I just remember like the first photo albums are all, he'd obviously got a macro lens and it's all drops of water coming out of the teacup and a drop (laughs) going into a glass of milk, all those things. And I know when I was at uni, uh, while I was at high school, we had a dark room and I used to just do millions and millions of photos really just to play with, you know, if you put glass on top, if you put glass on top of the paper before you put the light onto it, you know, what does it do? All that kind of fun stuff. Yeah. So, okay. So it was just a creative outlet for me, just like painting, because I wasn't doing painting so much anymore, and I needed to do something because I, I knew what was 
what was happening to me because my master's thesis was in burnout, um, right. and I knew I knew that I was on a. Well, so let's slope. talk a little bit about that because um, normally that's a question I ask at the end, but. There are so many women that I've interviewed who have burnt out. And like seriously, I, I had I thought burnout was feeling tired until I've met all these women who've some of them have had to take to their bed for a year. Some yeah. of them, you know, have have had adrenal failure and they just will never be yes. able to do the same job again. So yeah. as a professional seeing this happening to yourself to an yes. extent, what did you do to to stop that? And and what did it feel like? And I don't know. Any, any advice for others? I knew I was burning out because I was sitting with the client and I was starting to think to myself, God, you're whinging right now. Like, can you just appreciate <laughs> right. your life? Or yeah, okay. what the hell are you complaining about? Like, I started to not be able to relate. Empathize. Or I used empathize. to be, I, I couldn't empathize. I was starting to feel like, I feel I also felt like I couldn't affect any change. So self-efficacy is a big part of burnout um, being held at bay. And when okay. you don't feel self-efficacy, that's when things start to go wrong. And I've seen that. So with can of- I, let me just start. So self-efficacy is what by that, what do you mean exactly by that? So I guess in general terms, it's, it's like you feel like um, you have an impact in the world. Right. That you can affect change. You can, what you're doing matters on some level and it, um, it, and it makes a difference. So, you know, when people are in workplaces where they don't, can't affect change, that's where burnout starts to happen. Okay. Depersonalization is another part of it. So it's when you start to see people as numbers rather than people. Um, and people around you when you're short and sharp with people, that's Uh-oh. a pretty good sign something's <laughs> wrong. <laughs> My kids and might have something to say about that. <laughs> not good for a psychologist to no, be that way no, at okay. all. So, so the camera started to become more and more important in terms of giving yourself some relief from all of the monotony, I guess, yeah. of listening to people whinging day after day. <laughs> Yeah, I, I had people contact me who were seeing on my Facebook that I was posting photos of water droplets and flowers oh. and what have you. <laughs> and they were saying, oh, do you do portraits? And I'd be like, I think I do. Okay, sure. Let, let's Good do idea. A Why not? <laughs> Why not? Uh, what would you charge? Um, Lots. Let's go what, with what this amount. What would you pay? <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd be on the, on the shoot with them and I'd be like, Oh my god! I can have fun with people without actually like worrying about what their them. psychological issues are. <laughs> yeah, right. So, what did, um, what did you do first? I mean, what kind of portraits was it? The shots for LinkedIn, or did you start doing sort of weddings no. or birthdays or anything like that? Started with just like couples and individuals, and then right. moved into um, glamour. I did a lot oh, of glamour. Did you? Is that women and glamour? And I, in inverted commas, is that women in lingerie with soft focus doing it for their husbands? Well, or partners? I, of course, being me, I did the opposite. I was like, I'd rather you not be in lingerie. I'd rather you be in your badass outfit, whatever that's going to be, and let's do something <laughs> that makes you feel transformed. Um, okay. So I, I called can... them transformation portraits. Right. Um, okay. And won lots of awards overseas and in Australia for it. Um so I loved that. I then started doing weddings where I was going on to weddings with other 
um, photographers and assisting, then started getting my own weddings. Um, How babies. was wedding photography? No, oh. not yeah. I, it I was mean, okay. I, I can imagine it's lucrative, but also a lot of pressure mm. and probably not much fun for the actual event. Back then, it was not bad money, but uh, it was starting to move into. Uh, a space where lots of photographers were coming in that were undercutting and so brides would say, I don't want to spend that much. I just want to have all photos on USB. I would be adamant that I would do an album with people and they would do that with me. Um, But I knew that at some point it was going to start to change, which it did. Right, yeah. So, yeah. And then I was doing babies and events and but I really find babies frustrating because they don't move. They don't do anything. So you were never going to be Anne Geddes, for instance. No, no, so, never. So what brought? So what? What was it that made you think? Hang on a minute. I've got all this organisational psychology in business, and I've got all these people that need help with their business. Why don't I bring it together? Was there something that happened that mm-hmm. tipped you over? Someone who asked you to do that? Or okay, go on. You tell us. Mm, no. Um, so I the thing that tipped the thing that kicked it all off, which is interesting, is I, I photographed for what uh, is called Heartfelt um, up here in Brisbane. That uh, photographers who photograph uh, people that are either unwell with cancer, kids who um, who are unwell, or babies that have. Uh, being miscarried or um, oh, very heart wrenching uh, kind of stuff. Past. Yeah. Um, and at the time, I did not want to have kids because um, I've got endometriosis and what have you. And um, I went and photographed a, a, a glamour client of mine. She'd unfortunately lost a, a beautiful baby, and so I went there and photographed uh, that and that situation. And on the way home, the clock started ticking big time for me it just smashed me big time as in the um, fertility clock like you're talking yeah, about the oh my god like i want smashed one smashed me right and i was like i rang my husband i'm saying oh my god this is what's happening he's like really and i'm like yes and um so i decided to lose a stack of weight did michelle bridges lost a stack of weight Ooh, trying Lord. to do surgeries everywhere uh, ended up having a massive surgery because i they found I had a lot of endometriosis that was stopping me from uh, getting pregnant. Yeah. Um, and so I was recovering from that surgery that ended up being six months of recovery. Oh, gosh. And I was sitting at the back and I said to my husband, why don't you bring all that psychology stuff over to me and I'll work on some of that because I might just try and clear that and get it out of our hair. Um, so he brought it all over to me and I started looking at all the symbols that I had because I had boxes of them. Right. And I said to my husband, oh, what am I going to do with all this? Like this is going to take me forever to deal with this and get it handed over to somebody else who will appreciate it. And, of course, my husband's known me for far too long and he said, well, is there a way you can just combine it with your photography somehow? And I just looked at him blankly and it's like it just clicked. And I was like, uh, uh, yes, I guess I could. And nobody else and is doing it. Nobody else is doing it. And then I, I realised at that point photography was changing big time, so Kodak was shutting down. Yes, I remember iPhones those. were starting to come out. 
I realize everyone's going to be able to take a photo with a, a with a their phone at any time. So weddings are going to change. Babies probably, you know, unless you're really good at it, not going to be really a, a thing. Yeah. Um, I thought I'm going to have to do something that nobody can actually copy. And so I spent those six months of recovery trying to work out, okay, what does that look like? Right. Um, so I set up all my symbols for my Jungian work um, and I started using them with clients and they'd be like, wow, this is really different. I didn't expect I thought I was just coming in for photos and I'd be like, yeah, well, we do things differently here. And it, you know, started off very rough initially of me just trying to work out how does this interplay. Yeah. Um, well, describe a then, session now for someone because I didn't know it either. And then when I came up to spend time with you, I was like, oh, my God, this is like nothing I was expecting. So why don't you just explain it a little bit for anyone who's listening? What, it, what the so process the is that you do? are a whole stack of different. They're, they're, they're categorised. So there's either symbols that are from under the sea, so turtles and fish and seahorses. There's um, things that are from farms, like And they're farm little animals. figurines, aren't they? All or, figurines, or, yeah. They're all touchable physical little objects. So you'd see them in Toys R Us. You'd see them in Toy World. You'd see them in, you know, $2 shops. I, I find them in lots of different places. You know, little Bart Simpson characters. I've got Bart Simpson. I've got uh, Lisa Simpson. I've got all the Simpsons, uh, except for uh, Homer. Um, uh, actually, that's <laughs> okay, so you've got Homer. <laughs> so, so when someone comes in to see you, one of the yes. first things that you do, if it's like, what you did with me is go and have a look at that cabinet and see what it is that grabs you and and bring it over to me and we'll talk about it. That was kind of how it starts, isn't it? So most people are very intellectual about it initially and thinking that they're going to pick something that makes sense, but oftentimes it doesn't make sense. So they're picking and what's actually happening is your subconscious is choosing uh, based on the parameters. And so my parameters are things like, I want you to pick something that represents your past, something that represents the current now of how you show up or how you don't show up and how you want to show up in the future. And so they'll place them in that order down in front of them. Um, And when I do a bigger session, like we've got an actual piece of paper where there's a timeline and everything, and they start to talk through the attributes of the symbol and then I say to them, well, how does that relate to your actual branding? How does that relate to how you show up? And then they start to realise that the cogs start to turn and you can see them realising, oh, well, Mm. it relates to this and this of how I turn up in my brand and how I hide, you know, because a lot of people will choose things like, you know, the girl from Monsters, Inc. that wears the Monsters outfit. Yes, yes. She hides. So I've got that symbol. And so some people who are very much hiding in their brain will pick that. Um, And they don't realise it at the time, but then when they start talking about it, you know, they realise. And the fact that there's a psychological part of it with Jungian work, that if you can see it, subconsciously shifts start to take place. And you don't even need to talk about how it relates to your current moment. If you can just talk about the symbol itself, it shifts your identity. Oh, it it's just fascinating. Fascinating. Mm. It's a, it is, mm. I would have to say to anyone listening, an amazing process, and I would love to come and do a longer session with you at some stage, but it is very clarifying 
I guess. And you're a fabulous guide because, and and you definitely feel that there's no judgment there, that it's just, let's do it. We'll mm. see what comes up and then we'll talk about it and somebody, suddenly mm. things will become clearer. So absolutely amazing. And it's interesting when you do that with groups. <laughs> like if I've got groups in the room being photographed, I'll even get them to choose their own symbols so bosses can see what other, what their staff have chosen and get an insight that they haven't heard before. Ah. of how they see themselves in the team. So it's kind of like Lego work that you see these days that, that is pretty popular on LinkedIn. Um, so, yeah, it, I, I love it because it, it's unassuming and people underestimate it, just like people underestimated me in high school. So. Well, yes, at their peril, because I'm sure a lot of them are stuck <laughs> back there doing not very much and, and watching you going, oh, she's gone completely off the rails now. Oh, totally, yeah, totally. <laughs> okay, look, we're, we're running out of time and I could just keep talking to you for about another two hours. But um, I'll just ask another couple of questions. So we've talked about burnout and you've obviously experienced it before. What do you do in your life now to make sure that doesn't happen? How do you structure, how do you juggle your working week? Um, I will say this to clients as well. I don't wait until I've had a holiday. I can't do that because it'll build up, it, which it does build up with burnout. Um, right. It's a weekly, it's a it's a day-to-day kind of scenario. And oftentimes I will do things that are, that disrupt. So I burnt out another time, which was during the prison situation. Right. Yeah, understandably. And the way I disrupted that, which is a very – bizarre um when i think back at it now but every weekend pretty much i don't even know how we afforded it but every weekend we would go to um down to the gold coast and go to one of the um movie parks the movie park or sea world or dream world okay. and we would get onto rides and we would go to different different scenarios or museums or something that would break the pattern of me getting Get your stuck. mind off it and, and freshen it up again. But how do you, mm. <clears throat> in your home life now, do you have, yes. you know, I only work nine to five or what, what? how do you structure your working week to stop that happening now? I don't structure it like that, but I, through the day, will use disrupt disruptions that can keep me grounded. Um, right. So oftentimes I'll use a lot of movie uh, movies and things that, um, like for instance, if I'm doing lots of photo processing, I break it up by having movies playing on my iPad beside me that oh, will nice. just just chill with me and take me out of my headspace. So I'm not freaking out. Um, but I also nice. get regular massages, regular uh, myotherapy, acupuncture. I use things that will that don't require me to have to talk myself out of the the burnout because you can't do that. You have to intervene somehow. I don't need to do the the whole extreme stuff like I used to, but I found that if I – I find that if I have really extreme burnout now, I need to do something that matches it like what I used to do in the prisons. So it's if you've got some burnout starting to happen, it doesn't have to be massive. It could be literally something you do quite small now to disrupt that, and maybe that's just – setting up somewhere differently where you have lunch. It might be um, just disrupting the pattern somehow, some way. Nice. Yeah, it's funny. I I was speaking to a woman. I don't know who it was. It might have been someone who'd burnt out or, or somebody who'd been depressed, but she said in her recovery, her doctor said, just watch feel-good movies. And I suddenly went, 
oh my god and I've gone looking and now I watch feel good movies all the time that is actually yeah. a category in most of those streaming things yeah and I just love a movie that makes me smile and cheer at the end and it puts yeah. you in a completely different headspace yeah mind you uh, that doesn't work if you're really if you're no. right down deep in the burnout I'm sure you need to do a lot more intense work to to and and I have learnt I'm the kind of person who if I want to lose weight or something, I go hell for leather in the gym right. and I push myself and I flog myself. But I've learned over the years, my acupuncturist has told me, you need to do stuff that calms you down rather than revs you up. So a lot of the time it's things that will disconnect and will unlatch the energy of you getting stuck and locked. Right. Um, in your in your stress rather than trying to beat it out of yourself. Yeah, gotcha. Um, and so do you do meditation? Yeah, I do meditation. Yeah. I have things in my studio, like I've got sound bowls and well, I've got crystals everywhere, but I've got sound you do bowls have crystals and I use everywhere. a lot of and I use music a lot. So I put music on and actually do embodiment work where I'll, I'll be dancing in the studio. I get the, the vibration of the, the ground and my feet banging on the ground to actually like just letting the mood, letting the energy flow through me rather than it getting stuck. Yeah. Oh, I love you. You are so amazing. Last question, apropos of nothing, what mm-hmm. is there a quirky fact about you that nobody really knows that you'd be up for sharing? Love this quirky question. Hat. Could be anything. <laughs> It used to be the prison, but I talk about the prison all the time now. My One of my first paying jobs in high school was um, being a watermelon and rock melon picker, <laughs> uh, no, packer, packer. Right. Um, oh, so wow. So I, I would sit in, you know, those big tubs you see at Woolworths and Coles where the, those big melons will sit in. So yes. I, will, I would get into it. That's when I was, you know, nimble uh i would get in it and they would be above me the people who would be categorizing them and they would throw the watermelon at me and i would have to get my hands and kind of grasp it but let it then float down float let it move down onto, it down to the right part in the, in the box into the actual box wow, and i didn't I even know that was feet. a thing Right. Well, listen, we're going to have to wind it up. You are absolutely amazing. I can't wait to share this. If anyone would like you to do photography and or come and do some of your business magic, psychology magic on them, uh, what's the best way for people to get hold of you or to see your work? Um, If they search for the Louise Williams, T-H-E Louise Williams, um, they'll find me on most platforms or thelouisewilliams.com.au. Yeah, .com.au and the Louise Williams on socials. Louise, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate your great story. You're an awesome woman and you're a brilliant talent. So thank you so much. I can't wait to share it. My pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'stheboss.com.au.